We're continuing our series on family time. Last week, we talked about elders and the role that elders play in the church, how God has given uh, elders and, uh, and pastors and overseers to the church. And um, as we saw, elders, um, the terms that are used in the New Testament for elders who are the ones who are appointed to lead and to rule and to govern over the church, is the same term. It's used synonymously. It's not the same term. There's different terms, but they're used synonymously with the words overseer. And that term is also used synonymously with shepherd. We saw that in many passages where the writers were just using these terms interchangeably. So elders are pastors, and pastors are overseers, and overseers are elders. And so God has created this office of elder pastor overseer to govern over the church in particular the task of teaching and preaching and shepherding God's people to communicating God's truth they are to hold fast to the truth they are to hold to sound doctrine they are to rightly handle the word of God so that they can build the uh, congregation up the believers up in the truth so we learned that last week. We learned, we looked into this role of elder, pastor, uh, overseer. Well, today we're going to look at uh, a complementary role, and that is uh, the role of deacon. Elder is kind of the primary office in the church, but there's another office that's mentioned in the New Testament as well, too. And we see this at, in Acts chapter 14. You don't have to turn there. It's on the slide. But Paul... The Apostle Paul, as he was going on his missionary journeys, he's been sent out by the church from Jerusalem uh, to tell the good news about Jesus Christ, to go to the Gentiles and explain the good news about Christ. They went from city to city, kind of all around Asia Minor and you know much of the Roman uh, Empire at the time. And they're going from city to city and they're proclaiming the gospel and people are becoming Christians. And then they cycle back around. And then here's a summary statement that Luke, um, Paul's traveling companion, writes about what was happening and what they did. It says, when they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch. So these are all different cities along their route. And notice what happens. Strengthening the souls of the disciples. Encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. So I think this is uh, shows a little bit of a pattern here of how the local churches were start, started. First, it begins with the preaching of the good news of Jesus Christ. It begins with the preaching of the gospel. It says, and when they had preached the gospel to that city, when you preach disciples, gospel, when you preach the gospel, disciples are made. So the preaching of the gospel leads to the making of disciples. And then there's the strengthening of the souls and encouraging their faith. And then, um, then Paul goes back and says, now what we need you to do, you need to appoint elders to continue this process of teaching and preaching God's word. So that's what elders, um, that's the primary office of the church. But there's many places where he mentions another office, and that office, office is deacons, deacons of the church. You see it mentioned a couple of places. Philippians chapter 1. 
Paul is writing, he says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi. So he talks to the, to the whole congregation, to the saints, along with the overseers. That's the uh, overseer, elder pastor, and the deacons. So it's like there's two different groups within that church. First Timothy says this. This is a, a trustworthy saying. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be. So in 1 Timothy 3, we saw this last week, he begins with some qualifications of one of the offices of the church. Timothy is um, his apprentice in helping to plant these churches and to uh, build churches up. And so he's giving them instructions. And so you look for overseers to shepherd the flock. But then immediately after that, in verse 8, he says, deacons, likewise. So he has another different category, another different office that there's a different list of categories for, beginning in verse 8 through verse 13. So there's, so there's two primary offices in the church, elder, pastor, overseer, and then deacons. So we're going to look at um, deacons this morning. We looked at elders, pastors, overseers last week. This week we're going to look at deacons. And as I did last week, we want to begin by kind of defining some of our terms uh, on deacon, ministry, uh, and servants. Just want to be clear that we understand what um, deacons are, how they're pictured in the New Testament. Um, real quick question, when you say the word deacon from your church experience, what are some of the things that come to your mind? Money, okay. Helping the poor, okay. Anything, anybody else? I, yeah? Facilities, okay, so those different roles. You guys are going in a better place than I went because when I grew up in church, the first when I thought of deacon, I thought of um, pocket protector. <laughs> you know, the pocket protector, it seemed like when they brought the deacons up in front of the church, I didn't know who this deacons, I didn't know what that word was. They all seemed to have pocket protectors. They were like the bean counters that always did the money, right? So you guys went to a better place than I did. Um, so, um, so I was like, okay, well, the deacons are, you know, what, I'm not good at math, so I'm, therefore I must not be a deacon or can't be a deacon, right? Um, well, that's involved. That's part of it. But there's a little bit more to deacons. It's a bigger picture, and hopefully we'll be able to, to see some of that in this, um, in the passages that we'll look at. But first, let's look at the terms. <coughs> Excuse me, sorry. The terms ministry, servants, and deacons. The verb... Um, the verb that's often used is diakoneo. Can I hear you say diakoneo? Diakoneo. Right. That's the verb. It means to serve. It's kind of a general term. It means to, to serve or to support or minister. Some uh, older translations and uh, even some of the newer ones sometimes will trans this, translate this verb as to serve. He served or he ministered. So, for instance, like... Um, it's the verb that's used when Jesus is fasting for 40 days and he's out in the wilderness. And then at the end of those 40 days, after being tempted by uh, the devil and the devil leaves for a more opportunity, more opportune time, it says, and that the angels came and ministered to him. It's this word. Or some translations say, and the angels came and served him. So ministry and service um, are kind of all encapsulated in this term. So this is the act of serving. I want to begin with that because the noun of somebody who's doing the act of serving is 
uh, a servant or deacon. The Greek word would be diakonos. Let me hear you say diakonos. Diakonos. See how it's similar to the verb? You know, it's a, it's a related cognate verb, uh, cognate, uh, related to the verb. And so this is a servant, but do you see how we get the word, the English word deacon from it? Diakonos. That's where we get the English pronunciation for deacon. It means a, a servant. So this is a term for the person doing the ministry, doing the, the act of serving. But there's another uh, noun that we should be aware of as well, too, and that is service or ministry or diakonia. Let me hear you say diakonia. Diakonia. And that is the, um, the office or uh, the best way to say it would be that's the name of ministry. The name of the thing that's happening when the deacon is deaconing, you know, or the minister is ministering, that's known as a ministry or a serving or a service, right? So those are important things to know. So it, it usually in the New Testament means service, any kind of serving, um, the office of doing that, uh, distributing of alms and food, um, and finances, etc. So this is the office of the deacon. Okay, so there's there are um, those are the terms that we need to keep in mind as we we think through um, this idea of ministry and serving and service. Now, there's two aspects I want to touch on this before we jump into our passage. There's two senses to this understanding of ministry, or two senses to this understanding of deacon and servant, and um, The first one is kind of the general sense. So, somebody who just serves somebody else. So, for example, um, the word deacon is used in, say, like in the Gospels, for somebody who was under the employment of somebody's house to do some of the tasks in the house. So, for example, when Jesus comes to to one person's house, and they, um, in the ancient world, when you would come to somebody's house, a visitor would come they would have a servant who would come and wash that person's feet. That was just kind of the cultural thing that that would happen. Um, Their feet would be dusty from hiking on the roads. They didn't have nice boots. They wore sandals, and so their feet would be really dirty. And so as a a good cultural thing that they would do, when a guest would come to your house, the servants would come forward, uh, and they would take their feet, and they would wash the people's feet, and then they would come in to eat. Okay, so those would be referred to as a... Diakonos, a, a, a deacon or a servant, right? And remember, remember what Jesus told his disciples, by the way, using that cultural background. On the night that Jesus was betrayed on the Last Supper, he's with the disciples. John records for us, he says, uh, and then he got up from the table and then he wrapped a towel around his waist and then he went to all of the disciples and washed his disciples' feet. Remember, Peter was like, this is, no, I, you can't do this. I mean, I should, you shouldn't do this. And Jesus washes his disciples' feet and he says, as I have done for you, so you should do for one another. He's saying, be a servant, serve one another. So that's kind of the general sense behind the word, like the angels ministering to Jesus. Um, But there's a very specific sense that we see in the New Testament letters as well, where that servant is a particular role or office in the church, which is what we saw in 1 Timothy chapter 3, 
verses 8 through 13, he's talking about a specific role or function in office in the church. Um, and so, um, so when we read that word servant or serving or deacon ministry, you have to understand uh, which sense is being uh, is conveyed right there. Um, I mentioned Grant Osborne last week, my, one of my Greek professors, and uh, he would ask us regularly. He would talk about something, and then he would ask us a question and call on us. We had to answer. And so he'd ask a question, and everybody was really intimidated because he was really, really smart. And so nobody wanted to answer right away, and, and then he, so he would end up answering. And often he would say, well, how do you know which is sense is meant by this, or how do you know which is this? And he would say, context, context, right? And then finally, at one, one of the classes, I don't know, about a couple weeks into the class, he goes, okay, let me just give you some advice. Which, you know, when your teacher tells you he's going to give you some advice, you pay attention. So he goes, uh, um, if you fall asleep in my class and I ask you a question and you wake up and you have no idea what it is, you say context, you would be right 90% of the time, right? And so we're like, great, got it, okay. So context, so how do we know? Well, we have to understand from the context. Whether it's a general sense of ministry, you know, just serving one another, or whether it's a particular sense uh, in the case of, um, of the office of the church. So now let's jump to our passage, Acts chapter 6. Because Acts chapter 6, I believe, gives us the prototype of the office of deacon in the church. And so I will read Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. So I invite you to follow along as I read. If anyone does not have a Bible and you need one, raise your hand and uh, somebody in the back will, will give you one. Acts chapter 6. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. While the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of uh, faith and of the Holy Spirit and Philip and Prochorus and Nicanor and Timon and Parmenas and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch. These they set before the apostles and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. So I want to look quickly here at a couple of things that are going on in this passage. Um, it says in verse 1, now in these days, we have to understand where this is happening. This is uh, within uh, years, maybe a decade or so after Jesus had come and come to Jerusalem, was crucified, uh, dead, buried, and raised on the third day and ascended into the heaven. Okay? This is in the book of Acts. This tells the story of the early church, what happens after that event. And Jesus had commissioned his disciples and he had said, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the world. You're going to take this good news uh, of the story of my life, death, burial, resurrection to, to the world. 
And so this is a couple of uh, months, or excuse me, a couple of years after that event. Shortly after Jesus was ascended, the Holy Spirit came on, uh, came in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 2. Flip over there, would you, uh, with me, please? Uh, Acts chapter 2. And then Peter preached a sermon. Peter, one of the twelve, stands up and he preaches a sermon. And it says that, um, verse 41, and so those who received his word were baptized and there were added to that day about 3,000 souls. So Jesus had commissioned them to tell the story of the good news. The disciples do that as the Holy Spirit comes on them and thousands come to Christ. So that's just, we got to understand the, the context of this, what's happening now in those days. And it says the number of disciples, the number of the disciples was increasing in number. We don't know how much this is. Maybe it's several thousand at this point, because many of those 3,000 were from other parts of the world, and they went back to those other parts. So, I don't know, maybe a couple of thousands of people at in this church, and it seems as though the 12, as it says there in verse 2, um, Peter and James and John and Matthew and all of the other disciples, they're the ones kind of doing the teaching and preaching, but they also seem to be the ones that's doing all of the uh, serving in meeting the needs in the congregation. In this case, it's um, the widows who are not getting uh, their food distributed to them. And as a matter of fact, the word there is ministry. They were being neglected in the daily ministry. So that's the term that's used. Ministry is the term that was used in meeting the logistical needs in the congregation among the people. And so there's a problem. A problem arose at this point and the problem was that the, the needs of the congregation had gotten to the point that the disciples and the apostles were now um, neglecting their duty of preaching and teaching. This is what they say. They gather all of the number of disciples, and they're sitting here looking at the scenario, and they go, we got a, a little bit of an issue. They say, it's not right that we should give up the preaching of the word of God in order to serve tables. So this is one of the challenges to the church, uh, I think, in every generation, in every time. One of the challenges of the church is when elders, pastors, overseers get distracted from doing what they're called to do, to preach and to teach, when they're distracted from that to do other things. There's always been a movement um, that's seeking to minimize and squish down the teaching and the preaching of God's word. You see this in Acts. So we want to follow with me. Track, track through here in Acts chapter 2. Peter gives the sermon. Thousands come to Christ. And the church starts to grow. In Acts chapter 3, we see um, Peter is continuing on teaching and preaching. And then in verse 4, the council, the religious leaders go, Something's, this is not right. We got a big problem here because they're taking a whole bunch of people away from us and they're going to serve this Jesus. And so they gather them together. They bring them before the whole council and they say uh, to the apostles, you need to quit doing this. You need to quit preaching and teaching. You need to stop this. And the disciples rightly say, no, we can't. You can, you can punish us. You can discipline us. You can do what you want to us. 
But we, we can't. We have to continue to speak about who, uh, what we have seen and what we have heard. Notice what it says in um, Acts chapter 4, verse 17. The council says to them, but in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in his name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. So here it is. The, one of the challenges to the leaders of, of the church is for the teaching and preaching to be minimized. This is what I think the enemy's tactic all along in the church. But Peter and John says, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and what we have heard. Verse 20. And when they had threatened, when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people, for all were praising God for what had happened. And then notice what it says at the uh, verse 31. They continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Now look in chapter 5, verse 17. But the high priest rose up and all who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, and they were filled with jealousy and they arrested the apostles. Now the first time it was just an inquisition. They bring them in and they say, um, we got a little problem here. You, you need to stop doing that or else we'll punish you. And they say, no, we have to keep teaching. We have to keep preaching. This time they arrest them. Verse 18, they arrested the apostles and put them in prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors, brought them out and said, go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. There's the speaking, the teaching. This is what they are supposed to do. The enemy is working to stop the teaching and preaching. First, it was just warnings. Now it's actual imprisonments and threats. And it says that. And angels had to intercede to get them out of jail in order for this to continue to happen. The high priest goes in. They say, where are these guys? They go, well, they're not in their jail cell. They're out in the, um, the, the temple, and they're continuing to teach and to preach. Verse 27, and when they had brought them, um, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, we strictly charge you not to teach in his name. Yet you were filled, you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood on us. And Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. For God, for the God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at the right hand as a leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are eyewitnesses of these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those. To who obey him. And it's immediately after that you, you turn the page and you get to Acts chapter 6. Right? So you see this pattern. They're teaching and preaching. And then forces come to try and get the leaders to stop teaching and preaching. And then they continue to teach and preach with boldness, which is a good thing. And then other forces come to stop and to squelch that down. The enemy is always working to do that. And he started by using outside pressure, external pressure, the religious authorities or the, um, the legal authorities to stop this from happening. But in Acts chapter 6, something else happens. The distraction comes from within the church. 
as the disciples were increasing in number, this, this distraction breaks out and their division starts to happen. And you get a, a picture from verse 2 that the teaching and the preaching of the church had kind of been put uh, on a back burner or to the side. And that the apostles got real busy managing all of the logistical things of the church, that this was being neglected. I think that God put this part of scripture in here for us to remind us the centrality of that for the leaders in the church to preach and to teach. And good for the apostles. And I think that they were filled with the Holy Spirit when they recognized that. They go, it would not be right for us to neglect this in order to serve tables. And so this is where he calls the seven to uh, oversee that duty. And it says when the people, they, they, the, el, the uh, apostles present that to the people, they bring back seven names and they say, great, you guys are going to handle all of that stuff. And then we will devote ourselves in verse four. We will devote ourselves to prayer and to the what ministry of the word. And this pleased the whole group, and they did this. And then notice what happens. Verse 7, as a result. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. The word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. I think one of the challenges in every age is for the task of teaching and preaching that the elders are to do, um, there's always a constant pre pressure. There's a, a battle, a warfare, and I believe it's a spiritual one, that would take that away and get that pushed to the sidelines and that become not central to what a church does. That is the challenge of every church and in every age. And so I think God has given the gift of elders and deacons so that this that teaching and preaching could go on now a couple of uh, a couple of problems a couple of things i want to point out um, a couple of problems that arise when pastors are not pastoring uh, when overseers are not overseeing and then when you don't have deacons uh, deaconing in a church when you don't have servants serving in the church a couple of problems arise first one as i said was the word of god doesn't spread this was the problem that the, the apostles encountered here. They go, this is not right. If we don't do this, uh, the word of God won't, won't spread. And when they corrected this, you see in verse 7 that they, they grew. The, the number of disciples, the teaching ministry continued to expand. So when pastors aren't pastoring and uh, shepherds aren't shepherding, because you don't have deacons deaconing, the word of God doesn't spread because it's neglected. That's the first problem. But here's the second problem. If pastors aren't pastoring and, um, uh, and because deacons aren't deaconing, the physical needs of the church go unmet. The physical needs of the church will go unmet. Things will start to fall through the cracks. You saw this with them. There, a fight broke out because some group in the church that was part of receiving some benefit in the ministry of the church, wasn't. they weren't getting it. And this was creating a little bit of tension in the church, disunity in the church. And interestingly, it comes, it seemed to have kind of, uh, the fault line was on racial lines. Because as the church was mixed, you had uh, Grecian Jews and then you had Hellenistic Jews. Uh, you had Hellenistic Jews and then Hebraic Jews. So, uh, so they, they were, the charge was that maybe there was a, a racial undertone to this. 
So one of the problems if deacons, you, you, pastors aren't pastoring because deacons are deaconing, you have the physical needs actually go unmet in the church. You see this in, happen in churches often um, if all of those responsibilities land on the, the pastor. One of those two things has to go, right? Um, the teaching ministry will either suffer or the needs of the church will suffer. So that's number two. Here's a third problem. People with the gift and desire to serve are denied the opportunity to do so. People with the gift and desire to serve are denied the opportunity to do so if pastors aren't pastoring and deacons aren't deaconing. So I think, I thank God that um, he has provided for us kind of here the prototype of what we see happening in the early churches. Kind of as the apostles were here in the appointing of these seven to serve the congregation, you see that in the New Testament letters of the role of elder, pastor, overseer, and the role of deacon doing this, the, the needs of the church and, um, and serving, serving the entire congregation. So turn with me. I want to look at the qualifications for deacons and uh, elders and deacons together in 1 Timothy chapter 3. First Timothy chapter 3. And so here's the kind of the question that's going to be have in our mind as we're reading this. What are the distinctions between pastors and elders and deacons? Here's the qualifications. Verse 3. This saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. I want you to notice that one. Not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if anyone... Or for if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will, we, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert. He must not become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into this, a snare of the devil. Now Paul switches to writing about the qualifications for deacons. Deacons, likewise, must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience and let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their Children in their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. So here's some distinctions between the, the office of pastor elder and the office of deacon. What are some of those, those distinctions? The office of pastor elder, um, following the, the pattern that we saw in Acts chapter 6, is the elders, pastors, overseers of the church shepherd. They're preaching and teaching God's word. The deacons are to serve. In 1 Timothy 3, you see one of the requirements for the elders is that they are to be able to teach. 
The reason is, is because they're the ones that are responsible for the teaching and the instruction that's happening in the church. Deacons, there's no mention anywhere of the deacons needing that role to teach. I want to point out, this does not mean that the role of deacon is a less important role or that it's uh, an inferior role in that sense. The, notice that the apostles, when the instructions were happening in Acts chapter 6, or when the, that whole incident in Acts chapter 6, that the apostles didn't say um, when the issue was brought to them, like, hey, we have some women that are not getting their needs met. There's a, there's, uh, some people are falling through the cracks. Notice what the apostles don't say. They don't say, um, forget feeding them. We're only interested about getting people to heaven, and that's all that really matters. No. They said, um, they go, that needs to happen. That ministry needs to take place. The physical, tangible needs of the church need to be met. And so they didn't say, well, don't worry about that. That's not an important thing. They said, that's really important. We need to do it. As a matter of fact, it's so important. It's really bad if we do it. We need somebody else to do it. Does that make sense? So it's not less important. It's hugely important. As a matter of fact, um, uh, without deacons, People's needs are met in the church, and the details of the, li of the church life um, will, will be minimized, and also the preaching will be minimized. Second one, the, uh, the office of deacons and pastors, uh, second reason or distinction between the office of deacons and pastors is that the council of elders, it's always a plurality of elders, is tasked with oversight. They are to oversee. But deacons are never instructed to give oversight or never instructed to give governance. They are, they are instructed to serve. And they're, by the way, they're not pastoral assistants. I mean, they're not serving the pastors. They're serving the congregation. Uh, the, the elders and overseers are giving the, the direction for how that service is to happen. Um, but the, uh, they're not serving the, the apostles or they're not serving the elders. They're serving the congregation. So you could say that the distinction between pastors and elders, for those who have a calling to preach and to teach and to shepherd, um, those would be the ones that would be aspiring to pastor elder. But if you don't have the gift of teaching, but you enjoy to serve, you enjoy serving the congregation, meeting the needs of the other people, then that is, that's the role of uh, deacon. That's the role of deacon in the church. Deacons provide... Uh, read this this week. Deacons provide assistance so that the work of the church can continue effectively and smoothly. These two offices God has given the church are complementary. They work together. They're distinct in their functions and in their tasks, but they work together to make the church go and to make the church grow. Right? So at Redeemer, we, we have stuff that needs to be done. And so we need servants, and we need deacons. I started to tell this story last week. I think I started to tell it, and then I realized I didn't finish that story. I kind of went on to something else. Do you guys, did it, nobody noticed? Um, but I mentioned my professor, Grant Osborne. And um, he would begin all of our Greek classes with uh, devotions out of the Greek text, and it was just, like, mind-blowing. Like, those four minutes were... Um, like better than most hour-long sermons I've, I've ever heard. But he preached from Ephesians chapter 4.
So I invite you to turn with me there. It's just kind of our little reflections and our thoughts here as we close our time. And I'll read this and then I'll finish my story. Ephesians chapter 4, um, verse 11. And it says, and he, that is God, he gave, he gave the apostles, he's talking about what he's given to the church. He gave apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers. And the way that that's written in the Greek, shepherd, teacher is kind of one that's describing one person, one office. So he gave these, these things as uh, shepherd and teachers to the church. And then here's what they were to do. To equip the saints for the work of what? Ministry. Diakonia. Ministry. For the building up of the body. Until we all attain unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. To mature manhood to the measure of the stature and the fullness of Christ. So you want to get to maturity, mature in Christ, that comes through the pastor, elder, shepherds of the congregation equipping saints for the work of ministry. So we're talking about this, and we're sitting in class, and Grant Osborne says just in passing, he goes, uh, to many of us who are aspiring to be pastors and to teachers. And he goes, you're aspiring to be pastors and teachers. And he goes, I want to tell you, if you're in the ministry, you are become a pastor and a teacher, and you're uh, overseeing this, and he starts to list off a lot of the things and functions you would see happen in the church. If you're involved in the fundraising and you're involved in all of these things, and many of us were really excited to hear some of the things we would be doing in part of the church. He listed off one thing after another, after another, after another, after another. And he goes, and pastors and teachers who are doing all of those things are sinning against their calling, he says. I mean, everybody's radar went up. He goes, because here, pastors uh, and teachers equip the saints for ministry to be done. So there's a sense in which all of us minister. Everybody in the congregation has a role to play. You have a ministry that you can do in serving one another. That's the general sense. And I believe that this role of deacons are ones who are uh, specifically tasked to oversee all of that ministry being done in the congregation. Those are the deacons. But if there's a pastor and teacher who's, who's doing so many of those other things that he's not pastoring and teaching, then he is, as my professor said, sinning against his calling. Pastors and teachers are to equip the saints for work of ministry. So as I said, Redeemer, we have stuff that needs to be done. And we need servants. And many of you, because we're so, you know, a little small church right now, everybody shows up, everybody kind of um, grabs, a, grabs a table, they grab something, they grab a chair, and they put it out. Um, that's serving. That's making sure the logistical needs get done. But we're looking to have some, some deacons to help oversee that whole process. So that, um, so that I can and the elders can focus on preaching and teaching. Uh, so that I don't do it because I'm sometimes not a detail person. If I'm doing it, that stuff gets dropped and lost. And everybody's, where did that thing go? You lost it. And then it always, the fingers come back to me. And I'm like, I know, I feel bad every week. Um, 
So we need deacons to go, you know what? I can see, oversee that. I can make sure that that's done. I can make sure that the church is functioning smoothly. I could do that ministry. And I could do it because uh, not only for me, because I'm gifted and called and equipped and uh, instructed to do that and released to do it. Uh, not only am I doing that, I'm actually, I'm helping the preaching and the teaching in the church. I'm, I'm helping the preaching and teaching, not because I'm doing preaching and teaching, but because I'm doing this so that the preaching and teaching can happen. Amen? Right? So all of us are called to serve, but we're looking for some uh, deacons who are interested uh, in doing that, in overseeing that kind of ministry. So I'd invite you to, uh, to pray. Pray for deacons. And I would even invite you, uh, as you're praying and thinking about this, this passage in particular, 1 Timothy chapter 3, if you have uh, somebody in mind that you know that would be good at that, um, please let me know. Please let me know. I think I would like to hear some names or suggestions from people who, uh, who think, you know what, I know this person over here, and I think that they, they would be great at overseeing that kind of ministry. Okay? So you can come and speak to me directly. You can email. Um, you could do that. Um, or, at the very least, I ask you, will you pray? Will you pray and ask God to show, um, show us as a congregation, how we can serve? What are the ways that things can be done so that this, uh, everything that happens in the church can run smoothly? Pray for your role in that. And pray that God will raise up uh, deacons to oversee that role. And I think that this, the, the, um, this area of deacon in, uh, serving includes not just finance, you know, or not just food distribution or helping the poor. Um, I think it includes things like all the logistic things that need to be done, setup, um, sound, equipment setup, welcoming uh, families as they come in. We have, we have a lot of needs that need to be met. Let's pray and ask God to reveal uh, some deacons who will help see what needs to be done and equip us to go forward and do that. Amen? Amen. Next week, we're going to be talking about membership. I really encourage everyone to be here next week. Um, we're going to talk about what, uh, what are the privileges and responsibilities uh, to be in uh, this church. And I'll talk about uh, a little bit about the, what you're covenanting to to be in this church as well, too. So um, would you stand with me for a closing All right, let's pray together. Father God, we, um, we again give, uh, give with wonder and amazement and overwhelming thanks that you're a God who speaks, that you have spoken in creation, you have spoken to your people, and that you have spoken in your word, the person of Jesus we're grateful that we have the record of your words to your people in both the Old and New Testaments. 
And God, we also thank you that you have instructed your church, that you've given us instructions about the different roles and the needs in the church. And we thank you as well that you've reminded us of the importance of preaching and teaching your scripture, the good news, the gospel, because that is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. So God, we, we pray right now for Redeemer that you, um, that you help us, um, that you help organize us, that the ministry that happens here can move forward um, smoothly. God, we ask even now that as you, um, that you raise up uh, deacons who are, who can serve and who want to serve the body of Christ, who want to do a ministry to others. God, we ask even now that you raise. Um, you raise some up. God, I pray as well for all of us, that all of us have a, a part to play in your church. Whether it's the ministry of prayer in the word, like the apostles said in Acts 6, or it's the ministry that the deacons' roles are playing, or whether it's the, the, the general ministry that all of the saints uh, of your church are instructed to do. God, we, we ask that you show all of us ways in which we could do that more. And that we do it knowing that we are advancing your kingdom. That, we are, that when we do that, unity is developed among us. And that when we do that, maturity develops in us. So, God, we ask that you do that through us here in the coming weeks. And we give you thanks and praise in the name of Jesus Christ and all of God's people said, amen and amen. Brothers and sisters, now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with all of you as you go. Thank you.